Today we have Big Hassle Media in the house, Jim Merlis and Ken Weinstein. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. That's big, that's big uh, hassle. With, that's big hassle with an H, not with a C. It's not big castle. <laughs> Did I say big castle? It's not big asshole. That's his Brooklyn accent. That's his. He's been working on his Brooklyn accent to get out of the podcast voice. Yeah, I, I, it's a lot of things I've been working on. The <laughs> voice is one of them. Thank you for having us. On this episode of Please Be Advised, we interview Big Hassles Ken Weinstein and Jim Merlis. Um, all right, welcome, guys. Um, can we start with, in, uh, with introducing yourselves? Uh, well, my name. Go ahead, Jim. Go, go ahead. Me first. Yeah. Okay. Alphabetical order. My name is Ken Weinstein. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And my name is Ken Weinstein, and Jim Merla started the business first in 1999. I joined him two weeks later. I think it started what, Jim? January 20, 21st, 1999, right? Is that? Oh, I didn't realize that was the day. I thought I thought it was February, but 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 uh, but you're probably. <laughs> well, it was. We got laid. We got laid off on the 21st. You and you and. I. Okay, so the night, whatever whatever Monday after that is, was the uh, start day. There you go. And I joined two weeks later. Um, also, wait, you just mentioned you got laid off. So tell us a little bit about that and what happened. Well, that's, well, a, that's, a, that's actually a major part of actually the company. And, and um, I knew I was getting laid off. In fact, I had asked to get laid off. I was at, at Geffen Records at the time, and there was a merger between Geffen and Interscope and AM Records. And I had realized I didn't want to be working at a record company anymore. So my boss actually said, like, oh, I can make you the... She was leaving to go to DreamWorks Records. And she said, like, I can make you the head of uh, whatever this... You know, I can, I can put in a good word. Maybe you can be the head of this, this conglomeration. And I said, like, I think I'm done with being independent. With being at a record label, I want to be independent. And she's like, all right, I'll get you laid off. And I actually had a very funny experience where an executive that at Interscope wanted to meet with me because he had heard good things about me and I had to throw the interview. I had to be really bad and boring in the interview. So he <laughs> and then and then Ken Ken also was part of that merger too. Ken, what was it? Mercury and and Island yeah. Def Jam together. I was at, I was at Mercury and uh, Polygram and Universal merged, and so yeah, they were putting Mercury together with Island Def Jam. And I, my my boss at the time said, "Don't worry, you're not going to get fired. Don't worry, everything's fine. Everything's fine." Then he got fired. It was wow. like having it was like you know, it's not going to be a bad hurricane, and then the roof cut, gets blown <laughs> off the house. <laughs> And then you're you're like, oh, I guess this is a bad hurricane. And I I was called into the office. I'll never forget the executives were sitting at one end of a, sort of a long dark conference room. And I opened up the door and I peeked my head in. I think they had just laid off like fifteen or twenty people. I was W, so I was like at the end, you know. <laughs> so I like I I stick my head in and they're at the end of there and I'm like. Why so glum, fellas? Why the long face? <laughs> and uh, they're like, have a seat, please, Mr. Weinstein. And they handed me my package. I said, good day. Tried to figure out what I was going to do next. It was kind of, uh, I, I'll never forget the Road music version played in the taxi on the way home. And I, I was carrying like my framed pictures and like, it was, it was, a, it was a, straight it was a, out of a movie. Yeah, it was totally straight out of a movie. That's and, the perfect uh, goodbye, by the way. Good day. Good day, sir. And a good day to you. And... I was looking for work, trying to figure out my next step. I left PR for a couple of years. I went into marketing and kind of figured that I should probably go back to PR because I had more experience at that point in PR. But I wasn't really considering starting my own company at that moment. And I know I knew that Jim had started his own company or was planning to. 
So I was, and I, and I thought that we were too similar. When I was talking to our mutual friends, I'm like, well, I can't do that because Jim's doing that. So I should come up with another plan. And, you know, so I, I did some interviews around that time and there were some interesting options. And then I was talking to a mutual friend of ours one day and he said, why don't you call Merlis? And I said, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think, I mean, would he want a partner? So I called up Jim and Jim said, you know, if you would have called me two weeks ago, I would have said, no, thank you. But it's been lonely. It's, it's, oh, it was, it was very, it was very lonely. You know, you have, you, you, you go, you start this thing. It's like the phone's going to be ringing off the hook. And it was silent. It yeah. was absolutely silent. And I never had to try to sell myself. And it was, it was weird. So when Ken called, it, it was exactly what he said. I was like, when I, when I started, it was like my, my first idea of the company. And one, one of the ambitions was like, I'm going to work from home. And I'm not going to get dressed until five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> the and, dream. and then I, our first office was, was uh, our first client was Rufus Wainwright. And I shared a office with his manager and he had a couch and I had a couch and there was, and so then Ken started calling me and, and then, you know, exactly how he, how he spelled it out. And I said like, look, yes, come in, but uh, there's no room. There's no room on the couch for you. So Ken worked for hope for a while. <laughs> yeah. We met we met up at Mustang Sally's on 28th right. and 7th. Yeah. Mustang Sally's, 20th and 7th, and we did the math and talked about it. And Jim and I had come up at the same time together in the 90s. You know, again, he was at the labels, I was at the labels, and we were also bass players in local right. in local New York rock bands. And we even played on some bills together. I, sh I borrowed his bass amp when mine broke. <laughs> and so we were friendly and like, and aware of each other. And, you know, again, you know, sort of coming up at the same time, he actually, I, he interviewed for the Atlantic job that I eventually took. He turned it down to go to Geffen and I, I took the, I got the Atlantic job. And so we were around each other. And so when this moment, when our friend said, you should call Jim, I was a little nervous, but Jim, you know, said, let's meet up. And we met and we did the math and we chatted and we realized, you know, wow, we really get along well. And I went home that day and spoke to my then brand new wife and said, I mean, everything else feels like a step backwards. Let's try something brand new. So I called Jim the next day and said, let's do this. And we start literally, like he said, we started with one client. Rufus Wainwright. I had zero. Yeah. I had no clients. Not only did I not have any clients, I hadn't done PR in a couple of years. Although as a product manager on some of my projects, I would help out a little bit because I knew just, you know, because of friendships and relationships, the Mercury PR department would say, do you mind making a call? And I always would if I had to. And so, yeah, that's how Big Hassle started in 1999. And, and another thing that we should, we should add to all of this was my wife was pregnant with our first kid at the time. And then Ken's wife was, was pregnant within two months of starting the company. So we, we had to succeed. There was no net. And the other thing that we should, we should also add is that we were both getting severance packages. So we didn't take a salary for a while. That was very, very important and very big. So even though it was really scarily quiet, we were still getting paid for a while. So we could start the company slowly. I came on February 1 and was getting paid through my severance package through May. And Jim was getting paid through August. So we were able to bank some money and not, you know, not draw at all. So when it became time to draw, there was some already there to draw from. So that was very lucky. Of course, friends out there who are listening to this, what not to do, don't start a company and have a baby in the same year. That's no. crazy. <laughs> Just don't do it. Don't do it. Would you say that having the severance package helped with the success of your business? It, it was, there's a, there was a, there was a moment clear as a bell to me to this day. And I had, you know, I had Rufus Wainwright. I was expecting all this work and I, then I started finally making some outreach calls. I was like a little bit arrogant and thought everyone's going to call me and it wasn't happening. And then someone called me and was uh, about a smooth jazz saxophone player, not Kenny G, but 
but a Kenny G like player. And I was like, do I do this or do I not do this? this is, I hate this music. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I don't even know what I would do with it, to be quite honest. And I remember just thinking like, I don't have to take this. And that I think, you know, really set the tone. I think, to be honest, Ken, I think it was that was maybe a, a couple of weeks before or the week before you joined. And it was it was like cross, that crossroads. And I think I took the right fork in the road. Jim, Jim set the tone for the idea that while we were, our intention was always to have our company reflect the eclecticism of our personal record collections. We also decided early on that we had to just be, be completely, uh, we had to like the music. Yeah. And that was a really an amazing power, amazingly powerful rec- moment to to come to uh, and a, a standard to set because when you're at the labels, you have to work what you're given. And here now, Jim and I were going to set the tone and work what we wanted to work. And that was a big deal. That's huge. Let's talk about a little bit about the beginning of your actual partnership. A lot of people refer to the founding of companies and the founders as being kind of like a marriage. They're on trials and tribulations. So were there a lot of, did you guys kind of just like fit well together right away? Or was there kind of a beginning period of a little bit? Like, did you guys just get together right like that? It was I'll because Ken struggled to get some clients at first, and also was reintroducing himself to the press. He would call me a lot about about little things, and I'd be like, "Oh, come on, man!" And and I think what happened was, and I actually left the company some some years later on, and and, and moved out here and worked for a record label. And then I came in, and I think I was the exact same thing with Ken. When I, I became the head of the publicity department at Geffen Records, and when you become the head of a department, you actually don't do publicity; you spend all day in meetings. And so I think I drove Ken crazy for 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 a couple of years. <laughs> And and so like I, and I've said this not just uh, for this podcast and then I've said this to actually some of the employees that I feel Ken and I right now are stronger than we've ever been in terms of a partnership. I so enjoy talking to him and calling him my my partner. It's it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. But it, yeah, but there's there are there are moments that we think we probably drove each other a little crazy. But I think that we we got over those pretty quickly. Except when I left and then came back, I think I, I you know we had to go through that period again. Yeah. So twenty years later, you guys are still going strong. We are. Yeah. Like Jim says, stronger than ever. And if it is a marriage, Jim and I got really lucky. We found our our soulmates, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it's a, and it's a really beautiful thing. It's just that we have. I think what makes it tick wonderfully is that we have a similar way of looking at the world and handling the world, but we differ enough that it's a great balance. I seek his counsel all the time, and vice versa. And, yeah. and it's a, it's really amazing, and we're really honest with one another, and we have a great thing. And we do see. I mean, again, we're lucky that we see this. We see things pretty eye to eye all the way through, and and that includes staffing, perhaps like parents could be a place where could create separation because you, you never know how you're going to handle people working for you with you and Jim and I are just right on the money every each and every time so yeah the fact that we're partners is a blessing because I really consider him a best friend yeah so you mentioned staffing let's talk about that real quick how do you decide who you're going to work with and bring into your company well we did this alone for at first and then actually Jim started the company with one assistant who, who we shared with remember we shared with Nick that's right that's, yeah. that's right with yeah, uh, Rufus's Rufus manager. Man. And then, uh, you know, like Jim said, he worked out of Rufus's manager's office and I worked out of my living room, which was cool because uh, my wife was pregnant that year. So it was kind of great to experience that whole thing right there and with her. And then, so we didn't get office space for a year. Right. And once we got, it was really funny too, because 
my dad said, hey, will you come? He, had a, he was working for this company and when, he was working with this guy who had a brother who really wanted to get into the music business. Actually, before this happened, we, we hired the, Jim's assistant, quit we hired someone else another bass uh, player another bass player actually so it, you had to that was becoming a new criteria <laughs> would you say that bass players make the best employees best absolutely best publicist because they're, they're the quiet ones they're happy stepping back slightly and providing the foundation yeah so we had this uh once we had max in place after anna left brother of a guy that my father worked for he my father said will you talk to this kid he really wants to get into the music business and i said yeah have him call me and he didn't call for six months <laughs> he didn't call for six months so we were eventually he calls me one day and he wanted to he came in for an interview in a suit and he said he actually gave us a resume that I keep to this day because it is probably the most entertaining piece of paper I own. And what, one of the things that he did as his, uh, what is at the bottom, you know, with their interest, yeah. under interest, he, he wrote something called music prediction. <laughs> Trend prediction? Music prediction. Music prediction. So, of course, this was instant fodder for Jim and me. <laughs> we are like, what the heck are you talking about? It was so good. And he, he said to us, he said, all I want to do is... Is zoom zoom zoom. Is, all I want to do is zoom zoom zoom. All I want to do is show up at a at a at a show, and look out in the crowd and know that I helped put the kids in those seats. And I was like, we were like done, hired, <laughs> awesome. love you, you know. And he and he became our first intern, and then we ended up hiring him. I tell that story because that set up something in terms of what Jim and I look for in in a staff which is you know, we just want we want people who love love music and just eat it alive live and breathe it all the time and that's really essential to us and of course it's a human to human job it's a relationship thing and it's you don't want to hire a shut-in you know it's a sales job and it's a connection job all through the years we've staffed very very slowly always and we we did grow too big at one point because hire having a staff is it, there's a lot of therapy involved it's a very uh it get and you know dealing with people deeply it's wonderful but you know how many can you do that with it's it's hard we got it's a full-time full job that alone there was a period where people were accusing us of not communicating and so i would on my drive in to work i would i would set up a daily call with each person and talk and they never had anything to say it was kind of hilarious and then and then one of them one of them one day complained about not the lack of communication and i the only time i've ever yelled we do this once a week and you don't bring things up like this that's on you that's absolutely on you you have all this hour every single week to talk to me to bring up concerns you can't you cannot say that which what's was kind real, of what's, in, what's important is that we i would say 95 percent of our employees over the years were interns first and right. you know the the life of the intern is difficult on one hand on the other hand it's really so essential it allows that person to know to learn more about themselves do i like this kind of job do i like this kind of business can i can i do this can i do this with these people that and then that's from the intern perspective and then from the employer perspective you're can what's this person like on a day-to-day -day basis do they like doing this job? Are they capable of doing this job? Do I like being around this person? It's really an amazing, it's a, it's a beautiful way to find staff. And we've had been so lucky over the years to have some of the greatest people ever. We, we're, and we're friends with everyone who's been on staff. We, we love them all. You can't keep them forever, sadly, although you try. 
And uh, it's something to get used to in that sense. The intern thing, that's how we, that's really how we grew. There has been maybe over the years, five or so people who we hired outright. And another thing we do that I know, uh, Greg, you were showing interest in is the idea of franchising the name. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, and, that, and that's actually, can you should just tell the whole story with the other gym? Because that's, that's where it all began. Did it begin with the other gym? Yeah, I was. That was a brilliant idea that I had nothing to do with. I'm trying to re remind me what was. Um... Well, I, I, it's funny because it was when I was I wasn't at the company because when I came back, he's like, "We have this guy." Oh uh, right, uh, yes, 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 yes. In fact, yes. it might have been Jim's idea that he might have given us the or you the idea that to do this, and I was like, "Whoa, yeah, that's smart." It, yeah, so Nobody basically, is. this that's right, that's right, and he we should give him credit for that. Basically, the idea. Listen, I really want to be. I really want to join Big Hassle, but you don't have to spend your resources on me essentially like let me have the name let me have the email address and let's work together and we'll go and we'll create complementary percentage splits that make both of us happy and we'll go out there and kill it and you know we tried it it was really successful and we've ended up and we still do those types of relationship we we get into those relationships and um, they're really, again, sort of like an internship. It's a really wonderful way and a low, low cost way to get to know someone and to see if you could work with them. And it's a great way to earn money together for, and a wonderful way to increase the size of your staff, but not necessarily increase your overhead. So essentially you have leased your name to a third person. Yeah, at least the name, the website, and, and also our, our accountant who does the, who helps them with their billing. And the other thing is we wrote their way off that we can't take on. And, and lots of Sometimes they, they will have different tastes than us. Like certainly Jim Walsh, who's the gin that we're talking about, had a different taste than Ken and I. So it was nice. It complimented us really well. Okay, so you guys have overall then had a positive experience with this. It's been great. It's been great. It almost always works. And uh, if it doesn't work, it's a very low-key sort of conscious uncoupling. So yeah. would you say this is a passive way to bring in income? Well, yeah. sadly, sadly, no, nothing's passive. passive. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, nothing is passive. So when you do bring on an employee in any capacity, even if it's in this, this type of relationship, this franchising relationship, it's still, you're still bringing on an employee. You're still bringing on a personality. Sometimes to get the jobs, you have to work, you're working with them. So there, you know, the, the connection is, there's nothing that doesn't look like they're a full-time employee. Right. Actually. Which which also right. has has a negative part too. If, if a campaign's not going well, you're getting the phone call from the manager of the record. Right. Or we are. Right. So, so you it's, take it's, the liability. So yeah, so it's it's not like just go run away, go off, we'll never see you again. It'll have some kind of responsibility to it. As a result, yeah. we try to choose we try to choose wisely when we're getting into these relationships and we look at people's backgrounds, try to figure out that they do this in the best way possible. And you know, because again, what I said before, it really, it really holds true. Even though it's a franchising and you're not, they're not full-time employees for it. So sort of like a law firm that will bring in an of counsel who's not really part of the firm. They're kind of leasing the name of the firm to this person to work with them. If you say so. <laughs> like, well, you'll take our word for it. Based, or on, like all a, time, a based on all my time in law school, yes. <laughs> Starbucks that might franchise their name to a person or 7-Eleven. Exactly. I, I think yeah. of it sort of as a McDonald's and if someone finds right. like a mouse in their Coke, corporate McDonald's gets sued. Right. <laughs> wow. That'd be terrible. That'd be a very energized mouse. <laughs> Cafe caffeinated mouse. Caffeinated mouse. Sounds like a good name for a band, actually. <laughs> so, Rebecca, you wanted to yeah, mention Yeah, do you guys want to talk a little bit about your marketing strategies, ways you advertise your business, um, how you go about doing it as a, as a whole plan for your company? Well, that's, for, that's the best thing we did. Best thing we did when we started was we called our friend at Billboard and they put our name into a column and said, you know, Ken and Jim are starting Big Hassle Media. People actually read that. We how did. <laughs> 
we, we, did get, we did get phone calls from that. And it really did. That is how I got my first client. That's what jump-started my personal, that started my career in, at Big Hassle because people called. So that was cool and amazing. And from there, of course, marketing is, and I tell, we tell this to the staff all the time. I mean, marketing, you want to give, you want to give your clients a great ride. Things are going well, be communicative. If they're not going well, be even more communicative. You want them to feel you in the trenches with them. The most gratifying experience is when something doesn't go as planned and as well as you hope, but you still get, that client still returns with another artist that they work with, or it's really a word of mouth business. And if, if people enjoy working with you, you'll get the business. We work really hard. We pride ourselves on putting a lot of energy into the job. And I think our history of, of having a great company is based on our the sweat equity we put in. It's real. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting because when we have a really hot artist, then we get a ton of phone calls, you know, sort of, sort of from all over the place. And, and I think probably the best example is we did the, the Strokes Press uh, very early on. And, and the Strokes manager had been my intern when I was at Geffen Records. And we were getting a ton of, I mean, I, I think some very large, I don't, I was about to say their name and I'm not going to say their name, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band who's got like no sort of press credibility contacted us. And, and it was like, if we take you on, you're not going to be cool <laughs> just because we're doing the Strokes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but that, that was actually, that was a hilarious time where, where yeah. we were, we were getting a ridiculous number of calls and it was a lot of fun too everyone wanted to work with us but at a certain point obviously you started to have to say no to people i imagine i said no i said no to that rock and roll hall of fame band that, that one band <laughs> and we said i said no to a bunch of other things too and i took some stuff on that i normally wouldn't have but i thought it was at least an interesting story and actually uh, there's a there's a great so i had this other arena rock band at the time who was desperate to be on the cover of rolling stone or spin and they had this manager who was just really smart and so i pitched them hard to both of those magazines and i uh and i called the manager was like un unfortunately neither one is biting and i, and I really apologize and he's like no 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 jim this is why i hired you i wanted my band to realize it's them and not the publicist because you got my, you got your band on the fucking cover of Spin and Rolling Stone, and you couldn't get my band, so that says everything about them and not you. And I was like, "Oh, that's incredibly healthy." <laughs> it's like now they're going to sell the arenas and go on. You know, everything's going to be fine with them. I was like, "Okay." Yeah, that's part of understanding who you are as a business. Yeah, yeah, you have to be very mindful of that. We're we're very careful with everything we take on. It's, it's a lot. A lot of thought goes into it. You know, when you're A &Ring from our perspective, you have to listen kind of with two brains. One is, do I like it, of course, but the other is, can I sell it? Sometimes that doesn't meet. And uh, there's always managing expectations because a band that is selling a lot of tickets doesn't mean they're getting a lot of press. It's an interesting. It's a whole other kind of business that side of what we do. Tell us a little bit about your brand. I think the uh, I think our brand is really about authenticity. Jim and I are really exactly who we are when you meet us. I mean, we we love music. We we have ideas about music. We used, used to play. We still play. I mean, I think we both write. We both are big readers. So we have, we have what editors want. We, I mean, I think the brand, our brand is authenticity. Our brand is uh, hard work. And the way we curate the company and the clients we take on, it all speaks for itself. I think if you have to go out of your way to think about what your brand is going to be, you're going to get into trouble. Like your brand should be without second thought. Your brand should be you. If you have to remember a set of rules to ensure that your brand is going to be on track and never waver, I think you're going to get into trouble there. It's like kind of remembering a lie. That's not going to go well after a while. Yeah, that's my take on it. Is there a, is there a story behind a big hassle behind the name? Yes. It's, go, uh, Jim. Go. 
So Big Hassle is the name of a uh, screenplay that I'm never going to write with my friend Dennis. Um, <laughs> and he grew up in Valley Stream, Long Island. And the tagline of the movie is New Orleans is the big easy. Valley Stream is the big hassle. And that's and that's where it comes from. The other thing was the initials are BH. And before I had hooked up with Rufus's, Rufus Wainwright's manager, I was going to work out of my house in Brooklyn Heights. So it was all, that was the other reason for BH. How long did it take you to come up with that name? I think a minute. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> we'll tell you that coming up with the name for this podcast. It took a lot. <laughs> it's like quite a long time. It's like naming children or naming bands or it's not that easy. It's hard. No. I mean, it's really interesting because it was, and I, I don't really, like I said, it really took a minute to name it. And I didn't really think of the ramifications of not putting my name in it because, you know, it was, it was just going to be myself. And I think if it was, if I had used my name in it, the partnership with Ken would have been a little bit more complicated or it would have had to change that. I mean, it w- we were only two weeks in, into the company, but it, I think I lucked into something, putting a, a person's name into the into the whole thing. The other thing, the logo is of this sort of gangster, and it's based on, if you go online and Google the mobster Johnny Dio, it's based on him. Really? Wow. Yeah. And how long did it take you to come up with that logo? I am was, especially in the 1990s, was obsessed with the New York, or not even just all the mafia. And there's this picture <laughs> this guy and it's like to this day if i look at it it cracks me up i can't stop laughing and and i, and I did it with my wife because she was wasn't a graphic designer but she um knew how to do all of that stuff and so i sort of said Here, here's a picture of him make something like that and and she did and that's where the logo comes from i guess i shouldn't say that because if johnny dio's uh, family i want some money from that <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to be waiting outside. Yeah, it's certainly we're going to be buried in the uh, in in the Meadowlands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> certainly distinctive, and it definitely gives your company some character. Yeah, I, it's funny when I when I started the company. My, I mean, when when I joined the company, Dad said, "What's the name of the company? What's it called?" And he said, "I said Big Hassle Media." He was like. Don't name it that. It's negative. I'm like, that's exactly why it's a great name. <laughs> because I, I always say big hassle means no hassle at all. Right. And, uh, it's, and it's, you know, it's a great name because it is different and people memorable. So you want to come up with a, uh, that's, that's memorable, whether that's Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, whatever it is. You know, it's like cool names that, that'll stick with you. What goes into your sales process when you close a deal? Does that entail for you guys? Well, unfortunately, in our world, you know, there's, there's a ceiling based on general standards for the people people who do what we do just across the industry. So within a very, within a small scale, we can go as high as this amount or as low as this amount, depending on what the project is and who the company's working it. So there's really, Jim and I always say the only rule is that there are no rules. And we like getting involved with great events, great artists, great projects in general, no matter what. So we don't necessarily have a rule in terms of, of sales. We we just so, we visit each thing very uh, individually. So when it comes down to closing the deal, though, with client... Mm-hmm. What what goes into that thought process? Well, no one loves talking about money, right? Right. (laughs) That's the last thing you talk about. It is. You want to you want to hang? You want to hang? You want to hang? Then yes. like, how much can we hang for? So yeah, it's definitely the last thing you talk about because it is the hardest for us. We don't want to be a headache. PR is often the, the largest line item in any budget. We don't want people to look at that line item and and go, damn, and you had a headache from it. So we, but <laughs> but we know how hard we work. PR is like insurance. You might need it, so you should have it. So you pay for trying. That's the thing. We're gonna yeah. work hard for you. 
but we can never promise results. We can promise work ethic, but we can never promise results. The metrics of success are so varied based on expectations. And so what Ken and I might come away and say, that was a great press campaign. The client might not, not agree or, or, or there've been times, actually, it's usually the opposite. We're like, man, I wish there was more that we could have done there. And lots of times the client would be like, that was amazing. That was perfect. So it's, it's, it's hard to gauge, you know what I mean? There's no, it's not like radio or, you know, there's no chart or anything like that sort of gauge success. Right. So do you have any tips for other entrepreneurs out there who are marketing and trying to bring in clients, have this client that they're speaking to and then sealing the deal to bring them in as a client? We really, really stress that we can't promise results and that, but we'll work. We have a great track record we can show you, but we can't promise anything because there's nothing worse than saying you're going to do, be able to get ABC and not be able to deliver on those things and certainly say like, I, I will do my best to get, get those things. And I think that because we're veterans, we, we get sort of the benefit of the doubt. Now, I know that there's, there's other firms that do promise, we'll get you this, this, and you end up with a lot of disappointed clients when you do that. I mean, this is, world is so difficult and unpredictable. so and unpredictable. And, and, and our jobs are changing constantly, I would say on a monthly basis of what we do every day. And so a lot of it is like just really trying to explain the process and be very upfront about the, the possibility of what it can be achieved and what can't be. Do you, do you guys have any final advice for any entrepreneurs out there? I think, again, authenticity is, is the key to it like love make your pleasure your business and it'll and you'll be successful yeah uh, someone who works for us just the other day said some talent he was telling me a story and he said someone just said dude you gotta stop working so hard and my, and he said to me he's like so i didn't know what to say back and i was like but what if i like what i'm doing and i like my work and am i working so hard and what's isn't it i hate to say it isn't it like an oprah line like if you love what <laughs> love your work then it's not work what's not work you'll never work a day in your life right if you love what you're, you're that's right. what you do you'll never work a day in your life right and i think that concept is super uh, important when you're in college thinking about the future or when you're out of college and thinking about the future the music business was my fifth job out of college and i wasn't sure where i was going but wait for that moment to come where you really found a great idea number one but also an idea that you can do every day and wake up for I know what it's like to wake up for a job you hate, and that is not fun. It's terrible. Yep. And also, you you know, I always think that you sort of, you pick your moment. Be patient. And then when that moment opens up, be very aggressive. Don't, I don't, I think when you sort of sometimes like force the action, I think if I, I had tried to start Big Hassle when I was first doing music publicity, it would have, it wouldn't have worked, you know, and I needed the experience of learning what the job really was, what it really entailed. I think that when you're just starting out, when you're just, you've gotten your degree from college or whatever, you think you know everything. And it's really important to understand that you don't. And then when you there's there's a moment I think in everyone's life where you're sort of like I get this, and this opportunities come, and it, just be extremely aggressive at it. I always think of it about I'm not a big football fan, but I, for some reason this this football analogy comes. It's like you're a running back. And you're just waiting for that hole to open up and then you can't run when there's no hole. And when the hole goes, go right through it as fast as you can. So it's uh, it's 20 years next year, right guys? It is 20 years. We got to figure, figure out what we're going to do. I don't think I want to, I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to tell anyone. <laughs> really? Just like outside? The young pe it's a young people's business. Why advertise your age? <laughs> um, uh, right now, just so you know, there's a, there's a 20 year anniversary party happening for them. <laughs> You're all invited, all listeners. Um, we'll let you know. We'll let you know if we, if we hold the party. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Maybe it'll be at South by Southwest. 
<laughs> That'd be a good idea. That's where to do it if we're going to do it. Yeah, there you go. I have one final question. Music Modernization Act. Do you have any comments on that? Obviously, the art, we're all here because of artists, and artists work incredibly hard. You know, you could spend five minutes listening to an album that someone worked a year on, and that feels really unfortunate. You listen to a song that people spend hours and hours on, and you listen to it for 30 seconds next. I think artists need to be paid for what they do. It's high art. The more rights that uh, you can, that an artist can get for their favor because they're historically been so undervalued and taken advantage of. This is a good thing. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, thanks so much, guys, for joining us and uh, shedding some light on what you guys do in this industry. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. It's been a lot of fun talking. Yeah. And actually, so, Jim and I didn't talk today, so we're glad that <laughs> so we're done together. Check the photo. Thanks, everyone.